0: and welcome to another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thank you so much for listening. This is where I have conversations with people who are living life on their own terms. We dive into those big moments that have pushed them through the fears and self-limiting beliefs that hold so many of us back. But before we get stuck into this week's episode, I want to let you know of and invite you along to an exciting and free podcast Idea Bombing event that I will be speaking at on Thursday, May 18, here in my hometown of Newcastle. Now, the passionate team behind Idea Bombing have partnered with the Hunter Innovation Festival and are hosting this event, which is themed around Ideas to Innovation. If you are interested in innovation and creating change, I think you're really going to love this event, as the ideas that we generate will then be used in the Hunter Hackfest, which kicks off the following night. I will be speaking about innovation through simplicity and discussing how sometimes we need space in life to achieve clarity. Also speaking at the event is Sarah Pearson, who is the recently appointed Pro Vice Chancellor of Industry Engagement and Innovation at the University of Newcastle and Christina Geragatis, who is the producer of the Hunter Innovation Festival, and the CEO and chief enabler at Ideation at Work. As mentioned, it is a free event, but you do need to register as Spots are limited. I'll have all the information in the show notes and on my events page at liveimmediately.com, or if you Google Idea Bombing Newcastle, I'm sure all the information will pop up there too it 's set to be a fun night, and i 'm really excited to weave in the philosophies of living more with less into the notion of innovation so Thursday, May eighteen at the Edwards on Parry Street, everything kicks off around five thirty p m and I hope to see you there as I really do love meeting people face to face now on to today 's episode, and we have such a short term memory when it comes to achievement. we easily forget all the things that we 've done. And we allow self-doubt and fear to creep back in. My guest today is fictional author Lauren Sams and we discuss this notion or otherwise known as imposter syndrome, the feeling that you're not good enough or worthy of your achievements and worried that you're going to be exposed as a fraud. In this episode, Lauren shares her story about becoming a published author and growing through rejection, the selflessness that motherhood brings, and the importance of teaching our children to choose work they love. We also discuss the philosophy of minimalism and how it has less to do with the amount of things that you own and more about what you value in life. We also touch on being optimistic through adversity and positively reframing the story we tell ourselves. Like all parents, Lauren has moments where she feels crazy busy guilty, but she is mindful of being completely present when she's with her children, something I'm sure we can all try to do a little bit more of. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Lauren Sams. Hi Lauren, how are you?
1: Hi Mike, I'm good, how are you?
0: I'm very well indeed, very well indeed, and it is lovely to hear your voice again. It has been I a long time. I,
1: yeah, I know, it has been. Yeah, I was trying to think of when we would have last like actually spoken to each other, and I reckon it was at some gig in Sydney, Pro, like way before children and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it's been a while.
0: True. When when night times revolved around gigs and um, not sleeping patterns.
1: Yes. Not bed, bath, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And whereabouts in this beautiful world do I find you
1: today? So, well, I'm in my office uh, in my house in Sydney uh, and it's, a really beautiful day outside. Uh, and yeah, it's, um, it's, I'm looking forward to getting out there later. I've just had a, a baby. She's almost three weeks old. So we're going on lots of walks at the moment. Um, and I'm very much looking forward to like popping her in the baby Bjorn and getting out there and enjoying the day.
0: Oh, lovely. Three weeks old. Holy Nelly. That's, that's, that's the time of life where um, clocks just don't exist.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's uh well, she has a little internal clock that goes off at about two two AM and then four thirty AM. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. (laughs) Yeah, but apart from that, clocks do not exist. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Cool.
0: And I'm sure we're going to get into your family a little bit later, but you are actually the author of two fiction novels. Your first was She's Having Her Baby and the second, Crazy, Busy, Guilty. So firstly, I just want to say like a massive congratulations on your books and you must be so proud to finally let them out there into the world and for them to be received so well.
1: Oh, thanks, Mike. Um... Yeah, it's it's such a surreal thing, you know. I talk about this a lot, like with with family and friends. That I still, um, you know, I am I am proud, obviously, and it is, you know, it's an amazing feeling. It never goes away. Like seeing your book in a bookstore or in a library or you know a catalog or something like that. Like it's still a really amazing feeling and i had that back when i worked in magazines as well like even just seeing the magazine on the shelf or seeing someone reading a ma- you know your magazine on the train or whatever um it's always such a surreal feeling but i will I just I don't know if I'll ever let go of that like imposter syndrome feeling either mm. <laughs> like that, you know, uh, you know, my book might be in the bookstore, but I'm not a real author like all the other authors in the bookstore. Like it it's such a silly thing and I really wish I could get over it. Uh, it would you know I think make my life a lot easier, um, but it, it, you know when I talk to other authors about it, they say yes i we I have that feeling as well it's it's constant yeah, yeah it 's
0: really interesting that you talk about the imposter syndrome because it it 's something that holds so many of us back, but even yeah. once we do achieve, and I guess in your case if we're we 're talking about it, a very small element of your life achieving. To be able to finish writing a book, mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. and we still feel that. Why do you think that is?
1: Uh, I I wish I knew because I, I, I feel like that would um, help me, <laughs> um, you know, move past it. If I knew a little bit more, you know, about what the I don't know w- what the context of it was or what the meaning of it was. I think I mean I think for me, you know, writing is something that I love to do, but I probably, and this is probably true of of most writers as well, you know, writing is something I love, but reading is something that I just truly could not live without. And, um, so I think because of that, you know, because I read so much and I love reading, I feel like I, um, just constantly compare myself to other authors and, you know, and, and come up, uh, short, you know, um, Against them, and you know, in some ways, I think that's really good to have that um, constant reminder of, you know, you can do better. You can. There's always something to improve on, always something to strive for, you know, to to um, you know, to work on. Um, but I feel like, in other ways, you're right. It can really hold you back, and um, and I think as well, it, and this is just a small thing, but I think it, it something. I think it limits, um the way that you celebrate your achievements. So um, I think that, you know, that imposter syndrome can hold you back from saying, you know, you did a good job. You wrote a book. Like, it's in a bookshop. (laughs) You know, these are all great things. And so, um, yeah, I wish, I mean, I think for me it is a comparison thing and, you know, it's knowing that, you know, there are such brilliant writers in the world um, and, and, you know, knowing that, uh, you know, my style of writing is, is not like theirs or, mm. you know. Um,
0: I, think it, I think too it's interesting like when you talk about like comparing ourselves and we, yeah. we always seem to compare ourselves, you know, maybe our – level one to their level 10 you know yeah here's here's you know for in your case here's my first book my second book and you're comparing it to that author that might have 50 books out there or mm-hmm. you know all those kinds of things but you mm-hmm. also mentioned um that you were in magazines and that's where you and I first crossed paths uh, back no. in the day yeah. But was being a writer something that you always wanted to do when you were growing up
1: Um, yeah, sort of. I had, like, I had a few other things that I wanted to do. Um, weirdly, I wanted to be a hairdresser at one point, and I'm so bad. Like, now I have a four-year-old daughter, and I'm so bad at doing her hair. So I'm glad that didn't work out, um, because I would have been, like, just the worst hairdresser ever. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think I did always want to be a writer. Um, I didn't really know that I could be and then when I got that got a job in magazines it started to like I started to meet people who actually did that for a living so you know not just people who wrote for magazines obviously I met them as well but you know people who like were in that orbit who were writing books and um it suddenly became obvious that you know this is a thing that that you could do if you know if you really wanted to um and I guess yeah I always had it in the back of my mind but You know, I'm like a girl from Western Sydney. Like, I never knew anyone who had written a book. Um, You know, most people I knew had never even been to uni or anything like that. So, you know, it was amazing to me to then meet people like in my late teens and early 20s who, you know, were doing things like that. And suddenly that world kind of became available to me.
0: Yeah. And, you, you know, we spoke before about that element of once the book is out there's still that imposter syndrome kind of sitting mm. there but kind yeah. of getting that first book to that finishing line and and it being published I guess like with anything that we try to do in our lives, some big things and I, I and I put down writing a book is as, as a pretty big thing and we often have these great ideas but to get to the finish you know, or, or for have, having that idea to actually kind of being released into the world whatever that mm-hmm. big idea might be whether it's packing your family up and moving overseas for a year or writing your first book whatever it is there are so many obstacles and hurdles that we have we have to kind of get over what were yeah. some of the big ones that you faced when you were writing your first book
1: um well, so I, my first book was not my first book. Um, so the first book that I had published, um, She's Having Her Baby, um, that was, that was an easy kind of write. Um, like, I mean, it wasn't easy, but it kind of flowed out and it was, um, it was really fun to write. I had a lot of, like, I really enjoyed it. I had, I had a good time writing that. Um, the The obstacles kind of came before that, actually. I'd written this young adult book. Um, and it, I I showed it to a friend of mine who was a publicist at the time, um, at a big publishing company and she called me and she said, Oh, I really love this. Um, I'd written like not much of it, a couple of chapters. And she said, I really love this. I want to show it to um, one of the publishers here. And I was like, oh my God, you know, I was stoked. I was, I think I was like 26 and I was like, oh my God, it's happening. It's happening. This is it. You know, I was like getting so carried away, you know, before I'd even had this phone call, I was like spending my imaginary advance that I hadn't gotten yet. <laughs> All this sort of silly things. And, um, and then, yeah, so I had this meeting with this publisher, um, and it went really well. And she like, you know, I think this is great. And, you know, they're really talking it up anyway. So, I wrote the rest of the book, um, we had this, I had this sort of relationship with this publisher for about, probably about a year, and, um, and in that time, then I, I fell pregnant, and I, um so I was writing this book and, you know, really stoked about it. And it finally, um, went to an acquisitions meeting, which is like the meeting where the publishers where, um, you know, they decide if they want to buy the book or not. And so at some publishers, it's quite a small meeting. So only the publishers themselves, like the people who actually, you know, are in charge of publishing the books go. Um, but at the bigger publishing houses, everyone is there. So like, your receptionist is there, your marketing assistants, your, you know, publicists, um, the sales guys who sell to Dimmicks and, you know, everyone is there. Um, and you know, decision by committee can be difficult, um, as I'm sure everyone knows. And so the publisher rang me afterwards and, and this was, you know, about a year in and, um, you know, obviously I'd Written the whole book and taken a lot of direction from them. And, you know, the week before she called me and she was like, Oh, just, you know, for the contracts that we're signing on Monday, you know, what's your um, full name and do you have an agent and all this sort of stuff? So it was all looking like I am getting this book deal. It was amazing. And then she called me on the Monday and she was like, Well, I have good news and I have bad news. The good news is that everyone really likes the book. The bad news is that we're not going to buy it. And so it was really devastating because. I truly had thought that, you know, this is it. I'm I'm getting this book deal. Um, This is, you know, what I've always been working for and it's happening. This is great. And, yeah, I was was quite, I was pretty devastated. Um, And the reason that they didn't buy it was because um, the the, the sales and marketing guys were like, look, it's similar to this other book that we had, you know, two years ago. It didn't do very well. We're not going to buy a book like that. So, in some ways, you know it was crushing um and I took a while probably to to recover from that um but in other ways, it was a really good lesson that um writing a book is or and not even just writing a book but publishing a book you know it's a a business like mm. They're, they're well within their rights to say, well, you know, we did publish this book. It didn't go very well. We're not going to take a chance on this, you know, unknown author. Um, and, you know, that that's a business decision that they have to make. And so it was a really good – I think I had romanticised it for a long time um, and be, I guess because I love books and reading and writing so much. And so it was a good sort of, um, yeah, wake-up call to me that, you know, uh, writing a book is one thing, selling a book is completely different. So that was the big obstacle for me. And then when I got She's Having Her Baby, that was easy. After that.
0: So, so what, what made that easy then? Like, is it that you learned how to deal with the publishers or you, or you learned how to, I guess, in quotes, write a book that would sell? Or like what, what made it easy? Or did you just kind of write on your own path and not listen to people?
1: I think I developed a thicker skin, so I didn't worry um, or not that I didn't worry about feedback, but I took it better because, um, you know, like working in magazines, you're used to taking a lot of feedback. But I think it's a bit different when it's a book. It's more personal. It's, you know, um it's, yeah, it's closer to you, I suppose, and you work on it for such a long time, not like a magazine article that you might work on for a couple of weeks, and then, you know, you're done with it. This is something that you work on for a year, and, you know, you pour your heart and soul into it, that sort of thing. I think um, it it was easier because, yeah, I developed a thicker skin. Um, I was working with different people as well, and they sort of knew the story um, of of what had happened before, and um, was sort of, it did things very differently. You know, it's a, um, the two books uh, are, are now published by Nero, which is a an imprint of Black Ink Books, which is down in Melbourne, and um, it's a smaller company. You know, they do things really differently. So, you know, those acquisitions meetings that they have are, you know. Um, Really, only the the creative people come to them, and if they mm. like something, they publish it. Um, and so again, they keep, they keep
0: those marketing and sales guys out of the picture until the right. end.
1: <laughs> they do, they do, until they need them. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I think it was just different, you know. And I, I think the other thing that was different was that I'd had a baby, and I was not so invested in myself. Um, you know, I had more perspective and I could see, not that I had less ambition, um, or anything like that, but I could see that my world wasn't going to end if this didn't work out. You know, it was, there were other things that were sort of more important and were, you know, making me happy, uh, which I think really helped.
0: And you talk about, you know, motherhood there and, and, and having your first child, your latest novel, Crazy, Busy, Guilty, which I think can pretty much describe any parent at certain times, and it is a fictional <laughs> novel, but you know, as a writer and as a mother, there are times where I'm sure that you do feel crazy, busy, and guilty, and, and that final one, Guilty, seems to be a bit of a topic that, that's coming up a little bit. Maybe it's just with the people that I'm talking to. and But also within um, the podcast, this this guilt seems to be setting in or, or mm-hmm. guilt seems to be kind of the new fear to kind of get over. But how yeah. have you been able to push through that guilt at times and, and, and that juggle of being a writer and a mother?
1: Um, it is really hard. I've made – I have kind of made a conscious decision to – really stop feeling guilty basically because like I had this, when I was writing Crazy, Busy, Guilty, I had this um, other job, like a full-time job in in magazines that I just – it was just such a bad job for me, such a bad fit. And I was – it was, you know, one of those companies where you just – you know, presenteeism was really important to them. So you know, um, not it wasn't just about you know sitting down, doing your work for the day, and and moving on and going home. There was this real culture of this really toxic culture, I think, of you know staying in the office, um, doing everything for your job, being present at all times, you know answering emails at 11 p.m., you know, being available on weekends, all this sort of stuff that I just, you know, I only lasted there, you know, five to six months um, because it was just so untenable for me. Um, And during that time I felt I really did feel crazy, busy, guilty. Like I would wake up on weekend, uh, you know, nights at like 2 a.m., And I would have to write down my to-do list for the week because otherwise I couldn't go back to sleep. And it would be, you know, pages and pages of things that I had to do and had to remember. And it was just like, it was driving me crazy. Um, and I was, you know, I think if I had have stayed in that job any longer, I probably would have had like some sort of nervous breakdown as it was when I finished the job. I had like this series of panic attacks that were not fun at all. Um, I can kind of laugh about them now cause it was a while ago, but, um, I did feel really guilty during that time. Cause I felt like I wasn't being present for my daughter. And I, um, I remember one day, I think my um, my husband's aunt was looking after her and she said something about, oh, you know, what did she eat the night before because, um, you know, she's a bit funny on the tummy today. And I was like, I have no idea. I, I, I could not tell you what she ate the night before. And, I, you know, it's such a little thing. And, like, you know, now sometimes I can't remember what she's eaten either. And, you know, it, it doesn't mean you're a bad parent at all. Um, but there was this, I had this moment where I was like, Oh my, I don't even know what my own daughter ate for dinner. Like what kind of a parent am I? And I, you know, it was, mm. it spoke a lot to how I was feeling at the time and, and how guilty I felt. And now, you know, I probably wouldn't, you know, worry so much about things like that, but it was this real moment for me of what am I doing? This is not making me happy. I've got to get out of here. And so, yeah, quitting that job, I think it helped me. You know, that that was the problem, the job. And so now I've made this really yeah, conscious decision to not feel guilty. I can see that my daughter is happy and well-adjusted and a good kid. And, you know, as long as we keep, you know, my husband and I keep doing the things that we're doing, I think she'll be okay. And I t- really try not to feel guilty now.
0: It's it's so true that the, you know, what we do for that eight hours at work or that eight, 10, 12 Fourteen mm-hmm. hours, non-stop hours at work, really has a massive effect on on every other corner of our life. Yeah. And um, the but you were, you mentioned at the very beginning of this conversation that you're in your home office. Yes. And I know that when we work from home, there's all of these great benefits because, in a sense, we can control our time and we can do things when we want to do them. But I know, you know, having a wife that works from home and I work from home as well, and, and mm-hmm. other people that talk to me, it's sometimes trying to find where that boundary is from, from work and home. Like when I was working in the corporate world, I could leave in the morning. And mm-hmm. then kind of go to work it was kind of a little bit easier to kind of part mentalize what I was doing how have you found like with kids and and writing those books like what were some of the I guess systems or strategies that you put in place to be able to walk that tightrope of, of motherhood and and getting these books out
1: um, well I think What really helps for me is that I, so my daughter goes to preschool three days a week. And so my day is sort of, it is like a nine to five because that's when she's in preschool. So, um, you know, I drop her off. My husband picks her up in the afternoon and, you know, for the most part, like that's where the working day begins and ends. Like sometimes, um, like I'm a bit of an early riser, like I like, um, waking up early and so. Sometimes if I have a lot of deadlines um, or if I have an interview to do um, overseas, I'll wake up earlier, say, like, you know, five thirty, six, 6 or something like that and try to get a little bit of work done before everyone else's day begins. Um, but I'm not much good after um, after hours, like, you know, after, like, dinner and, and all that sort of stuff. That's, like, when we watch television and <laughs> just tune out and read books. Um but I feel like having that, yeah, having her in preschool has really helped. Um, and also I just think, you know, and um, you have really helped with this actually and you, you probably don't know this, but um, I really try to be, you know, when I have my daughter like, you know, with me on the days that I'm like technically not working, Um You know, I'm with her. I'm not doing work. I'm not answering emails. Sometimes I have to, you know, and that is hard, you know, um, but she's very good with it. So sometimes, you know, I'll have to do an interview or I'll have to sit down and, you know, answer some emails for half an hour. Um, And so she goes and gets uh, the iPad and she pretends to do work at the same time, which is quite cute. Um, But I also think, like, you know, there's nothing really wrong with that either. I think it's good for her to see me work. Um, she knows that I really like my job. Um, and you know, I think that taking half an hour here and there every couple of weeks is, is not such a bad thing. And I think it shows her that, you know, the things that we have, you know, we're very lucky, the things that we have don't come out of thin air, you know, no. we've, work for them. And I think that's an important lesson to learn. Um, and I think it's good to see, you know, she sees that my husband really likes his job. Um, you know, she goes to work with him sometimes and she sees that. And I think that's, that's great, you know, Um, And I think it's good for her to see that I like my job and, you know, that you're right, the time that we spend away from each other is, um, you know, fulfilling and rewarding and and all those sorts of, you know, lovely things. And
0: and I think too, as you said, like when you – when you are with your kids, if you can be mindful that, hey, this is the time that I'm spending with them and, yeah. and not try to juggle flicking on the phone and, and all mm-hmm. of those meaningless things that we often do. But mm-hmm. then if there are times and, and, a you know, a previous guest, uh, Brooke McCallery, who also has a, a lovely podcast, the Slow Home um, podcast, yes. talks about tilting into things and, you know, you've just got a book out Um and there are interviews that will come up and you might yeah. have to lean into that. But I think that the great thing of what you kind of said was like being mindful of it. That it is half an hour here or half an hour there every week or so. It's not it's not that half hour just kind of turns into all the time, which is which is a great thing. And you also touched on on a really good thing about Showing our kids that we do love what we do and to be mindful that, hey, these things that we have in our life come from us doing work and hopefully it's, it's work that you love because that's a, that's a great lesson to, to teach kids and I, I know that that's not in any textbook that they, that they have at school. Hmm.
1: yeah, I think so too. I think it's a really important lesson, you know, like like I said, you know we're um we're very lucky you know and and my daughter is you know um incredibly lucky you know she gets to do all of these you know first of all, she's born in Australia, so you know incredibly lucky by by that lottery um but you know she gets to do all of these amazing things you know she goes to like martial arts and swimming and um dancing and you know all this sort of stuff and goes to this amazing preschool and, you know, all those sorts of things. And so I, you know, we're very – I think my husband and I are, you know, very conscious of her knowing that, you know, yeah, those things don't come out of thin air. Um, You know, we do have to um, pay for them. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, the the way that we get money to pay for them is by working. So, yeah, I think that's an important lesson.
0: And we talk about things which – leads me on to my next topic of minimalism and you described yourself so beautifully offline (laughs) to me the other day um, as a baby minimalist with grown-up ambitions and I loved it so much it will probably end up being (laughs) the the title of this this episode (laughs) but but can you describe to me what you mean by that
1: well so I'm not you know, I'm not a fully fledged minimalist, so I'm definitely a baby minimalist. Um, in that, you know, I'm taking steps. I'm I'm not there yet, but I'm learning, and I'm you know, I like I have the the desire, um, and I I, I just need to take more steps, I suppose. Um, but I'm also a baby minimalist in that sometimes I just really love things as well. Um, so, you know, I, I really love, you know, that new pair of shoes or or things like that, but I don't think that's, you know, necessarily a a bad thing. And I don't think minimalism is all that stuff either. Um, like for me, I guess, you know, minimalism is really about like figuring out what you want Mm. and, and doing that, you know, doing that thing and not worrying about, you know, what other people have or what other people do, um, you know, it's figuring out what your path is and how you would like to live. Um, but I think I talked to you about, you know, being allergic to stuff um, offline the other day and you know, I remember, like, even as a kid, you know, like I do love beautiful things, obviously, and, you know, like my husband and I really like buying beautiful art and, and those sorts of things. Um, but I remember even as a kid, like, uh, we would go to McDonald's and I would say no to the Happy Meal because there would be a toy in there and I'd be like, oh, I don't need that toy. I don't I don't want that. Um, and so I would just buy my meal, you know, the components of it separately <laughs> and things like that. Um, and even now, you know, like you would know this, having kids, um brings with it so much
0: mm. stuff,
1: so much extra stuff and i like it just for me it just fills me with rage having all of these like uh products that do only one thing and you need them for like 2 weeks and they cost $200 mm. and they're made of toxic plastic that can't be recycled and you know all this sort of crap um so for me, baby minimalism is about making sure that, I guess, making sure that, you know, we kind of, you know, my family and I like fill our lives with things that make us happy, not necessarily things that other people think will make us happy. Does that make sense?
0: hundred percent. And I, I completely agree with you. And I think too with the, the understanding that like, minimalism is more of that philosophy it's not about necessarily owning less but really kind of finding out what it is that that you value it was it was a tool that really helped me by kind of clearing out that physical clutter allowing me to to have that you know clearing out that mental clutter as well and, and giving me that space to think because that wasn't something that i usually did I kind of didn't really sit with my thoughts previously but you right. you know you talk about um, I think offline you actually described it as you were allergic to stuff but not immune to it and I thought that yes. was beautiful too. us I just remember reading that going you can, I can tell she's an amazing writer just the, just the, <laughs> the words that she uses <laughs> but but you know with with kids comes a lot of stuff and yeah you know because we can sometimes choose to live a certain way but we we do live in a society that you know hopefully we're all improving and changing in the direction that we all feel is is a better place but how have you tried to bring I guess some of that minimal tendencies into your family or or how have you dealt with the that kid clutter that does come with these beautiful bundles of joy
1: yes it is really hard because as you say like you know, we like, you know, my husband and I, you and Inga, you know, we know what we want and don't want, but then you have other very well-meaning, you know, family members or friends or, you know, whoever who might not have the same ideas and, you know, the, and it's it's a way of, you know, showing their love. So, you know, we have grandparents who love to buy massive plastic toys and things like that. And it's like, you know, we, we live in, uh, you know, relatively small house um and i just you know things like that I, i just i feel like kids use them for like a week and then they get bored with them and and they're done um so i guess for us we have tried to really prize experiences over things so we don't you know my husband and i do not buy toys for our daughter Except for, like, Lego. We buy her Lego because Lego is amazing. Um, And I feel like, you know, it never breaks. It's, you know, you hand it on to the next generation. It's, you know, and it's creative and it's fun and all that sort of stuff. Um, And we buy her books. um, And obviously, you know, we buy her clothes and all that sort of stuff. Um, But really, we prize experiences. So, you know, like you and Inga Mm do, like, we spend a lot of time together. We go you know and it doesn't have to be like it's not fancy stuff like we go to the library we go to um this amazing park that we can take our dogs to you know we go to like museums and art galleries and stuff like that um and you know we make we, you know we go out to dinner like those sorts of things that you know still cost money um and, but I think, you know, it's so, I'd so much rather spend, you know, a hundred dollars on going out to dinner or, you know, whatever it costs than a hundred dollars on some piece of shit toy that, you know, sorry, i allowed to swear. You can, you um, can
0: say whatever you like.
1: Okay. <laughs> some piece of shit toy that, you know, she's going to, that's going to break after two weeks or she's going to lose interest in. Um, I just, you know, I'd so much rather spend that money on spending time together, um, and I feel like, you know, for me, minimalism is about making sure you maximize time together and quality time. So, you know, when we are out to dinner, we're like conversing with each other and we're teaching her how to be a good diner. Um, you know, not like sticking her in front of an iPad and while well, we eat our meal, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, we really prize spending that time together over you know, spending 30 bucks on, you know, a silly toy or something like that. Um, and but, I think that, you know – oh, sorry.
0: No, I was just going to say like that – I 100% agree with you there. And that time is so important. And it's not. it's mm-hmm. not that our kids are going to remember – every single park that we took them to or every single dinner that we went out to or every swimming lesson or karate lesson. Did I even say that correctly the second time? Um, they're not going to remember all of that. It's the same with our big adventure when Andy was you know, four. She might not remember every moment. I don't remember every moment. But mm-hmm. what I do believe is when we spend that time with our kids and with our family, it's the same thing that I do when I look back at my childhood I just remember my family always being there. There's this, yeah. there's this great guy called Josh Ship, and I've said this before, who, who says that kids spell trust, T-I-M-E. And I <laughs> 100% agree with that. But yeah. with that family time, and we've spoken a little bit about um, your husband, David, mm-hmm. and he actually had a huge accident, a motorcycle accident about – 18 months ago where his Mm -hmm. ankle nearly had to be amputated. Yeah. Where were you when you received that call?
1: Um, I was here. I was at home and um, I I just quit that horrible job that I was telling you about, which ended up being such good timing because then obviously David was in hospital for a while and then came home here and was recovering. Um, And I just, there's no way I could have like been here for him and done that job. And, you know, it it would not have been a very understanding workplace either. Um, And so, yeah, I was here. But the thing about David is that he is like the most stoic and strong person. And so when he called me, um, he really made it sound very um you know like nothing had happened at all and uh he was uh, you know so really what had happened was that he was on the side of the road this very very busy road um pinned under his motorcycle uh with you know his ankle pinned under it and a truck had run over his ankle um but what he told me at the time because he knows that I have a tendency to freak out and um, you know and really worry which you know obviously was warranted in this situation but yeah he just said to me oh you know I've had a bit of an accident I busted my ankle a bit uh, they're waiting waiting on an ambulance and they're gonna take me to the hospital and so and from his tone of voice I didn't really think anything of it like I you know, obviously I was like oh my god accident not good but i did not think you know that something had happened to you know to the extent which it had and so i called his parents to come and look after our daughter and um you know got to the hospital And when I got there, um, the police were there and I thought, Oh my goodness, what's that's, that's strange. And I said to them, "Um, you know, is everything okay? Like, is is he in trouble or something? And they said, no, 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 nothing like that. And I said, Oh, okay. So do you come to every accident? And they said, no. And I said, why are you here? And they said, we just come to the bad ones. And I went, Oh my God. Wow. And I hadn't seen him yet. And I was, suddenly filled with this, you know, panic and dread. And I was like, oh my God, you know, I hadn't hadn't seen hadn't seen him, hadn't spoken to him since that short phone call where he'd said, you know, uh going to the hospital. And so, you know, when I saw him, he was uh he was pretty well, he's pretty drugged up by that stage because he was on a lot of painkillers, obviously. Um, but yeah, it um it was it was a long road after that and he's still, you know, He's in a lot of pain, and uh, he's you know he's got a lot of his mobility back, but it'll never be you know the way that it was. And uh, so, it, is, he, is he? Can he walk by himself? Yeah, yeah, he can walk. He can't really run, um, but that's okay. Um, but uh, and you know he keeps telling everyone that his basketball career will never be revived. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he's is he's,
0: he still riding a motorbike?
1: No, no, he's not. <laughs> but he bought himself a nice car instead so he's got that now um but yeah that was a wake-up call I think for us both as well and like we you know we've obviously told this story you know to a lot of people and um I think we were telling someone the other day that um you know it, it really made us feel very grateful that you know all that had happened was that you know, it had impacted his ankle. Like, you know, he's so lucky that it wasn't his head or his spine or, you know, anything like that, um, where, you know, the consequences are very, very different. Um, and, you know, you know, it was very serious at the time and there was that conversation about, you know, maybe, you know, it would be better to, not having a a foot, um, for, for him. Um, and so, you know, those things are not to be taken lightly, but I think, you know, what came out of it was this real sense of relief that that was all that had happened. And, that, you know, largely we could get on with our lives. And, you know, that we're so lucky to to only have had that happen. And, you know, I, I'm so lucky and, you know, my daughter, our two daughters now are so lucky to still have him here. Um and when we were telling this person, they were like, you know, a lot of people would have a really different perspective on that story. You know, a lot of people would feel like you know, this was a really terrible thing that had happened to me and, you know, to our family and all that sort of stuff. And I think it's really interesting that you guys have this completely different perspective that, you know, you feel grateful and lucky. And I'd never really thought about that before, but I was like, yeah, I guess some people would think, you know, that it would, and, you know, it was a hard time, but God, I just you know, I still have a husband, thank God, and I, you know, still have a husband who can walk and talk and, you know, be there for our daughters and, you know, I feel very, very lucky. But
0: that, that, like, looking at it with, you know – being optimistic about it and feeling lucky and seeing the gratitude in that mm. versus being angry and upset. Like at the end of the day, the situation doesn't change. Like David has a busted ankle. The yeah. only thing that you can do is decide how you want to kind of reframe that situation in your mind and, and how you want to kind of act to it. And, and and nothing like David's ankle, but you know, it reminds me of when I wrote broke my heel three mm. weeks before we went overseas and it yeah. was it was yeah. that same thing of like man we've just put like a whole year of yeah. effort into like yeah. completely changing our lives we're going to the snow and blah 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 and then yeah. i was like you know what mike it's happened there's nothing yeah. that you can do about it just no, right. be lucky and and think of the the cool things that could happen and and like i'm a I'm such a strong believer of reframing situations in your mind. Like one of the things that, um, that I do, and this is maybe going off topic a little bit here, um, mm-hmm. but I always, whenever someone cuts me off in traffic, um, I always say, oh, I hope, hope their mother's okay. And Inga, was, Inga said to me one day, <laughs> she's like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I can either get really angry that this jerk has cut me off in, yeah. In traffic, or I can go. He's cutting me off, but he's tr- he's in a rush to get to the hospital because his mother's got terminal cancer and she's she's really sick. Yeah, um, be it, a com- it completely changed your perspective on how you deal with that situation. Like the situation doesn't change at all, but the story nice. that I've told myself completely changes. But you know, you know, with that that optimism and gratitude, you know, is that something that you know that was a huge element a a huge um i guess life lesson that you guys faced as a family is that Mm. something that you try to carry through on kind of a a daily kind of basis
1: um i don't know if we do it daily but it's certainly something um like it's certainly something that we keep in mind you know um so I don't know if you know. I feel like I, if I remember it daily, or if you know, I remember to to feel grateful daily. Um, but you know, I feel like it's it's always there in in some capacity, I guess. Um, and I remember, like probably the biggest reminder was um, last year we went to um, went to Vanuatu together um, and it happened to fall like we were there on the anniversary of um, when it was happening. And we had this amazing day. We like, you know, got up, you know, it's such a beautiful place and we got up, went to the beach, you know, went and had a really nice breakfast and, you know, ate all this like beautiful tropical fruit and, you know, had a glass of champagne later. And it wasn't until I think maybe we were drinking the champagne that David said, Oh, today is the day today. Like a year ago at this time we were, you know, I was in hospital and I said, oh my God, right. Yeah. Today is the day. And it just, it really hammered home to me that like, you know, how lucky we were that we were on this beautiful tropical Island swimming all day long in the sun. Um, you know, having this incredibly lucky, beautiful, amazing day together as a family. Um, and things, you know, could have been quite different, mm. you know, like not that I'm religious but there but for the grace of god um you know it uh and you know and th- even the fact that you know David can still do things like swimming and you know we just had our daughter's fourth birthday party and he was like running around with all the kids and playing um uh what's the time Mr Wolf and things like that it's like okay yeah this is we're really lucky this mm. is good <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh
0: it's so good to hear and uh, you know I love family adventures yeah, um, but that kind of leads me to my final question, which I'm sure that you are aware that I would I would be asking this one to you. <laughs> but Lauren, can you please describe your perfect day?
1: Um, starts with coffee, ends with a martini. Um, starts with coffee. Usually, I would say oh, it'd be great if like. We were all in bed together reading books. Um, So we started reading Roald Dahl to our daughter and, like, we don't have many left. We're going to have to start rereading them. So reading some sort of, you know, reading Matilda or something like that in bed with coffee. Um, Then we go out for breakfast. I have Amazing Pancakes um food is a big driver for me as you can probably tell um then we all go swimming um then we go and i don't know have fish and chips or something like that we have a nap naps are also a big driver um then maybe we i don't know then what do we do then it's kind of late, and we all watch a DVD together and eat pizza.
0: <laughs> Happy days. So, so I'm just, I just want to kind of recap that. It's pretty much family time, books, food, hanging out, sleeping, and a, yeah. and, a and a little bit of alcohol at the end. A bit of a night. <laughs> yeah. It sounds, it sounds pretty good to me. It really does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yep. Lauren, I just want to say thank you for um, giving me your time today and letting me have this conversation with you. And, and again, congratulations on all the success that you've had with your books and you know the enjoyment that you are giving other people and, and other families through your writing. But if people do want to reach out to you and um, say good day or follow your journey, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Um, so you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. So I'm just at Lauren S. Sams so L-A-U-R-E-N S-S-A-M-S um, and my website is laurensams.com uh, and on my website, you can sign up. I have a newsletter that I send out every fortnight or so. Um, and you can sign up to that on my website. Um, or you can find me on Facebook. I'm Lauren Sam's author there. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Mike. This has been so fun. I really enjoyed it. Thank oh, you. good.
0: No, thank you. I'm, I'm glad. And I will definitely make sure that um, all of those links are in the show notes, along with links where people can, can purchase your second and third book. We won't worry about that first one anymore.
1: Yeah. <laughs> exactly
0: yeah yeah thank you but um thanks once again lauren and everyone listening thank you for giving me your time today and i hope you definitely took something away from this beautiful podcast and until next time have fun and live immediately